This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, host of Kicking Back, a podcast bringing you closer to players, coaches, and personalities throughout women's soccer to get to better know their stories and get the inside scoop on what they're working on. This episode, I chat with Nicole Hercules, who is the chair of the Black Coaches Advocacy Group. Nicole is the first woman to chair the group, and it's a subcommittee of United Soccer Coaches, which is the largest collection of soccer coaches in the world based right here in the U.S. Nicole and I talk about her work, especially right now in this moment when racism and and the broader topic of race is being discussed in the U.S. in a way that many of us haven't seen it discussed before. So we talk about how her group is uh, helping shed light and, and advance the conversation. And she speaks about what the group works on on a, a wider perspective, a day-to-day, week-to-week, and uh, regular perspective, including the advocacy for more black coaches in the soccer community from the youth level up to the college level and the pro ranks where there are there is very little representation and very little diversity. We talk about that, uh, the advocacy of the group for those coaches and for people of color in administrative positions to make those hires and to to make to have better informed hires. Um, we also talk about Nicole's work with the Rochester City Soccer League, which she founded in Rochester, New York, to bring soccer to inner city kids. And to she's broadening that uh, to bring soccer to young black players in markets across the country through some different initiatives. So really exciting conversation, uh, some really important topics, and some really important work that Nicole and the entire Black Coaches Advocacy Group is working on. So hope you enjoy it. This is the latest episode of Kicking Back. Jeff Kasouf here on Kicking Back with Nicole Hercules, who is the chair of the Black Soccer Advocacy Advocacy Group in United Soccer Coaches, which is the largest soccer coaches organization in the world, in, in based in the U.S. in Kansas City. So, Nicole, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. Yeah, thank you for for coming on. That was um, United Soccer Coaches. <laughs> it was a bit of a mouthful, but um, tell tell people kind of what. <laughs> What, uh, if you can, from the start here for us, um, I think many people are maybe somewhat aware of what United Soccer Coaches is. And, and mm-hmm. just for those who aren't at a base level, it's a big coaching group and, and there's licensing and there's uh, mm-hmm. events and everything. But within it, there's a lot of different subcommittees. Um, for a long time, diversity has been a, uh, a key point of, of growing the membership. Um, and, mm-hmm. and you as chair of the, the Black soccer advocacy group. Uh, what is the group? Um, what, what do you work on? And uh, what is the kind of day-to-day or year-to-year look like? Well, this year is definitely different, but I'll first kind of start with United Soccer Coaches and the fact that we are the largest uh, 
coaches network pretty much out there for, for coaches in the game across the globe. Um, and we have an advocacy council. So within United Soccer Coaches, we have a group of co chairs like myself who represent the people in the membership. You know, so we have everything from a Latino chair to an LGBTQ chair, Native American, a disabilities and allies chair. There's a college coaches on the men's side. There's a women's college coach. There's a faith-based group. There's a high school chair. There's a youth coaches uh, chair. So we try to represent all coaches and advocate on the behalf for these groups, whether it's, you know, the courses you need to take, uh, a pathway to leadership. We try to make sure that we're creating avenues and opportunities for our coaches just to be the best that they can to learn the game and to continue to move forward as they need to build in the sport that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. And, and your group in particular, um, what, what does that look like, you know, in terms of, of what you're working on and um, kind of how you fit into that ecosystem? Sure. So, yeah, I'm the chair, the first female chair of the Black Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. And I'll tell you what we do. We've actually grown ridiculously in the past two years. We're up to around a thousand coaches and I have calls from people from across the globe. The African Coaches League just called. They have about 700 coaches out there. We have uh, people from Canada who want to start chapters. So we're growing pretty quickly, especially with the way the climate is right now, because I think people are recognizing that with what we do and what we do is pretty much we find ways to create avenues for coaches of color. Our mission is for the advancement of blacks in the sport of, of soccer. And we're trying to galvanize our coaches across the globe so that we're able to create pathways to opportunity to make sure that we're having uh, coaching education courses throughout the year to make sure that we're doing things in urban communities, but also to make sure that our coaches, if they want front level positions, if they want, you know, to become a GM and things like that, that we have professional development in place that allows our coaches to be the, the top of the top. And we're ready to prepare them and do whatever we can to make sure that our coaches are doing well in the soccer game. So even as a, a U.S.-based organization in some way, um, you're, you're starting to see that internationally, that there's a lot more um, activity or, or interest and, and outreach? Mm -hmm. Well, there are many chairs before me who were from different places, like Lincoln mm -hmm. Phillips from Trinidad, right. um, Daniel Gordon's from Jamaica. So, you know, and then we had um, Sam Akpodu, who was the Nigerian women's national team coach. So you have coaches who brought in what they consider the triangle of blackness. So coaches from the Caribbean, from Africa, you know, of course, from the States. And we have coaches, the number of coaches growing in, in the UK right now. So we're all over the place. We have coaches pretty much everywhere who are coming together saying, you know, we have some similar challenges and representation um, issues that we're having across the globe that we need to come together and find some solutions for. So it's been a really nice uh, mix of people who are active and we have a strategic plan in place to make sure that we're able to kind of execute on some of our goals and missions. Um, so it's a good group and an active group and we're excited to kind of see if we can make some change this coming year. Mm -hmm. And th this, um, you know, the topic of, of representation, I think, on, on really a broad level of, of um, females, uh, women in, in coaching, um, people of color in coaching, uh, the, the pro level, the pro ranks are still predominantly, you know, white male coaches and even, you know, up, up in the front office as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that maybe we talk about um, in the media space and maybe don't recognize that, that there's so much more below that space. Those are, you know, mm -hmm. in the NWSL, that's nine teams, but we're talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of clubs, you know, around on the youth level. So um, what, what does that look like, you know, has representation grown a bit what can you give an idea of kind of what the the landscape is like the challenges are absolutely 
away yeah, from but, the pro level. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty consistent. I will say for every sport um, across the globe. So it's not, we're not even just talking soccer. Like we have a, we have an issue um, especially in decision-making positions. So if we start with the state associations with youth soccer, you know, we just had a conversation. There's a group that's coming out to do a diversity, diversity and inclusion program um, that would spread out through all of the state associations. And we looked at the numbers and it's almost, I think the percentage was like 90% of executive directors for state associations are, um, are, not, are white. Um, if just, just to be frank. Um, so when we're talking about decision makers and, and things like that, it starts at the youth level where a lot of those positions, and you know, we love the sport of soccer and we have phenomenal people who are in those roles, but we're just not seeing people of color. And that starts when it, you know, all the way down to the youth level. Now, if we take it to college level and we're talking on the women's end, you know, we only have four black female coaches at the division one level, four. Wow. Um, so, I mean, when we're talking about kids being able to see themselves, especially black female, you know, young girls to be able to see themselves, you just, you don't think of it often. And I, you know, spoke to um, Pia McNeil, actually all, all three of the four on my, my strategic leadership group. So it's interesting having that conversation. Cause I say to them, who did you guys look to? Like, cause I, I'm trying to think, I've never had a black female coach. I think I had my first black coach in college, Kelly Kenny Bonda, but before that I've never, just never experienced that. So I was asking them, who did you guys have to look to? And it was never anyone that looked like them. Um, but they were also people, many of them played, you know, very high level. Kia McNeil's played on the national team for a bit, played professionally. So they just had this mentality that no matter what I can do, I can achieve whatever I want to achieve. So they had the right network, they had the right connections, and they were able to kind of climb to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're talking about, like, if we were to move to the professional level, um, and we're talking about MLS, and that we have some good relationships with people at MLS, and we're having some good discussions um, but there's only two black head coaches. There's no majority owners. There's no CEOs or presidents. I believe there's two general managers. Um, assistant coaches is a little bit better, but the numbers just aren't what we would like to see. Um, and it's consistent with every sport that you can think of. Um, and then just in our game, and on, on the National Women's Soccer League, as much as I love the league, it's even worse, you know? And there's, there's never, I don't think there's been one, no, there hasn't been one black coach. Um, I'm trying to think about general owners. Um, yeah, so the numbers are a little bit worse, but the conversations are there. One thing I will say about the soccer landscape is that we have great people and great coaches who are really concerned about the numbers. So I'll tell you, even with this current climate, now that this veil has been lifted on the fact that there is some systemic and institutional racism, there's been some real conversations. And our concern earlier on in was we don't want to see these stances that are put out without action steps. And I will say that everyone is being very intentional in the steps they're putting together. Um, There's frameworks that are being put together. There are toolkits that are being put out there. So people are looking to address it. So I'm really proud of the response that, you know, MLS, I I talked to them, you know, a bit, you know, the National Women's Soccer League. Um, There's some people that we're speaking to, but I I definitely want to talk to them. Um, But there are people who are out there who are starting to have that conversation, wanting to see some changes. And we're starting to have that conversation now and hopefully the actions will, will be executed and we'll see some different things happen. Mm-hmm. I, I saw United Soccer Coaches um, has uh, some resources for, yeah, the for resource anti-racism. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know what involvement or how much or how, how much involvement you had with that as a group maybe, but um, you know, you mentioned what's been going on, you know, the past month, which is not a new thing, but, but, you know, the, the light that's been shed on, on mm-hmm. racism, certainly in the U.S. and, and beyond. But um, what is this? I mean, 
What has this been like at this time in terms of the position that you're in within a much bigger organization that can, you know, perhaps um, have some influence, at least in their mm-hmm. soccer bubble of creating some change? How do you go about kind of, I mean, essentially, you're probably looking and saying, we've been saying this, right? Yeah. But, but now um, you've, you've got to find those action steps, right? Mm-hmm. And Jeff, you hit it. I think that's the thing is like, we've been saying the same things for years. Uh, the numbers have been pretty consistently bad. The only change is that now we have a lot of people who are coming to us and I'm pretty busy. I'll say that. Like there's a lot of people who want to find ways that they can help to be a part of the change. Um, and they're looking to ask the right questions for how we can work together on that. Um, so that's the biggest change is that now we have people from across all colors who are coming in and saying, yeah, we have a problem here and we can address this together. And I'll tell you what, as the world's game, there's no one better to come together and to kind of do something in our small little lane of soccer than soccer coaches. It's the world's game. The world loves this sport. And coaches are the people that teach the generation of kids that are coming up. So what a great opportunity that we have to all come together and to do the right things. So I'm really happy that, you know, people are coming to our group. They're listening. Um, and then we're coming together with like that resource page that you, you spoke about. We had um, the president of the association, the advocacy chair, the advocacy relations manager, and a meeting later we had the CEO all on an hour-long call to just have a real honest conversation. And sometimes it's an uncomfortable conversation, but it's a necessary conversation because it moves us in the right direction. Um, so we've had a series of these conversations talking about some things that we would like to see, some of the concerns that we've had. Um, and, and again, we have a very supportive group at United Soccer Coaches and you know, the resource page was the first step in, in what they wanted to see to help coaches to be able to navigate their way through. And there's going to be a lot more that we're going to put together to help, you know, move coaches and, and clubs and, and, and teams in the right direction. You know, we definitely want to see a no tolerance for racism um, in our game from the, from the youth all the way up to the professional level. You know, and we're also creating a pathway to leadership for our coaches. I just told you some of the numbers for, you know, front office positions and things like that. And here's the thing. We know we're not going to say, hey, we need to have 10 coaches in this position and that's going to happen overnight. Like we, under, we know that, right? So we are doing everything in our power to vet our best coaches and, and, and administrators. So we already have a good pulse on who the top people are, who are doing phenomenal work, but the rest of the world doesn't know about. So that when there's a time for those positions to open up and we can kind of make sure that we have the people who are in place who are capable and fit the right criteria, we're sending them over and we're like, hey, take a look at this person. This is someone who can really help. Um, And, you know, that's the direction that we're moving in is making sure that we have that pathway to leadership for our coaches. And we've created a professional development toolkit. Um, And there's five phases to it. We're going to unleash it with our groups next month. We'll take our strategic leadership team through it first. Um, we're going to use this year to really make sure that we're sharpening up and that we, we have the, the top coaches and administrators who are prepared for that next level of leadership. What you said there just now is interesting that uh, maybe a job comes up if it's at a youth level, a college pro, um, you know, within your group, perhaps, who's an exceptional talent. Um, are you able to potentially put the weight of the group in some form behind a person in, in you know, terms of advocating for them in a certain role is that is that right yeah and I think it's also you know and we're we're ways away from that but we also have the relationships with many of the organizations and some federations so we're really trying to build some power in what our voices are again we have around a thousand coaches and growing so there's definitely power and value in what we're doing a lot of the content that we've been putting out are the most watched um 
webinars and series that United Soccer Coaches has put out. So I think people are recognizing the value um, of our group and the, the amazing stories and content and the masters of the sport that we have that people didn't know about. So on so many levels, it's, it's fresh and it's new. Um, and people are excited about seeing some new faces. I say this all the time. It's like when you think about like, you know, the French men's national team, how diverse it is, you know, and they just play this beautiful style of soccer, different races, different religions, but they come together on the field and things are better because there's such difference, you know, so you're better for that because you look at things from different angles. You, you play the game differently. And some of the top, you look at Belgium, you know, you see some of these teams with this diversity and there's, I think people are better when things are like that. Diversity just makes us better. It's almost like we're cheating ourselves when we don't have that type of, of difference of thought and opinion and things like that. It's almost like we're hurting ourselves. Um, so when we start to see that, I think our game's going to get so much better. Okay, folks, we're going to take a quick break here for a few words from our sponsor. Oh, no, I know you want to hear more. We're coming right back. Stick with us. There's plenty more great conversation after the break. Here's a quick few words from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more of Kicking Back. Yeah, yeah. And one of the um, – you've been in the, the sort of board setting in the group for five years now, you said. Um, I think first convention close to 10 years ago at this point, uh, which is about the same for me. And I've been going to, um, you know, I guess – one, one frustration I've had, I guess, is, you know, the annual convention, which for those that don't know, is a very big, big gathering <laughs> in, in some city somewhere um, every January. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it can feel like, uh, and this is particularly maybe the case in terms of a similar topic of advancing uh, women into higher ranking positions, coaching and, and, and administrative, that the conversation year to year, um, it can feel like sometimes it's not advancing to the sense of we're still talking about the same problems, but, you know, mm-hmm. do we have a, an example of a, a breakthrough per se? And maybe it's hard mm-hmm. to feel, feel like you do have that. Um, I imagine maybe there's, there's a similar, um, I don't know, frustration is the term, but, but feeling in, in what you're advocating for. I mean, what do you think about that? Have you kind of felt that sometimes you have to kind of tell yourself? Of course. Yeah. But I think we're also like just, we're persistent, but we're positive, right? So we, mm-hmm. we recognize that there are challenges and obstacles, but we just see those as opportunities. So of course, there's times when, we, when I've gone into a convention, and I'm like, man, we just really aren't seeing, you know, a lot of people of color. And I will say this, last year, we had a record number of clinicians. Um, we had a record number of our coaches who won top awards, the United Soccer Coaches. We won, uh, Mike Curry won the honor award, Lincoln Phillips won the Walt Chiswitz with Jill Ellis. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Carla Thompson, who's a U.S. soccer educator, won the Black Excellence Award. Um, Kendall Reyes, who was the former chair, you know, received an award for his, just, just his, his contributions for his time as chair. So, you know, that was a good start, right? We were just, I think it was a way for United Soccer Coaches in, in, in our group to say, you know, we're, we're going to continue to recommend sessions that we want to see at the convention. We're going to recommend our top coaches. They're going to pack the house you know, just like our webinars and things like that, because again, it's a business, right? And we have to recognize that, that there's more than just saying, here's a person that I want you to, to, to take, you know, note of. It's saying, no, this person's amazing. This person's excellent. You don't know about them yet. And they're going to rock this house. So let's start showing you guys more people who are going to add value to our association and to the soccer landscape. 
And I think that's kind of the cool thing that's happening here is that you're seeing these hidden gems that we always knew about in the rest of the world. It's like, oh my God, so-and-so was amazing. And it's like, in the back of your head, you don't want to say, I told you so, but it's a fun time for all of us, you know, to kind of come together and just say, yeah, you know, there's, you know, there's some stuff that's coming out of this group and we're excited about it. So again, you know, I always like to say that we're going to be positively uh, persistent. We're going to push on and we're just going to put great stuff out there and people will be so great that people can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Walt Chiswitz Award, uh, Saturday Nights, which is unfortunately when a lot of people have maybe departed um, mm-hmm. from the, the convention, but um, I, there was a packed house for Lincoln Phillips and Joe oh, yeah. Ellis um, this, this past January, um, which feels like a long time ago at this point for, for a lot <laughs> yeah, of people. Were you there for that? Were you at yeah, the wall? Yeah, oh, I, was, uh, cool. I was at the, I, I couldn't really, I mean, there were a couple seats, but I didn't want to jump over people. It was a packed room, so I was just kind of at the back of the room uh, listening in and uh, watching some of the, the videos and the, the tributes and the speeches. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was cool. It was, um, I think it's, I think some, I know some people call that kind of the hidden gem of the, the convention, which um, I don't know if they're swayed by all the free beer that's at the end <laughs> of that too, but uh, it's, uh, it's uh, always usually, it's been, I've been to the last couple and it's been a good mm-hmm. time. So um, what well, I, just kind of, you know, looking a little bit more at, at, you mentioned Kia McNeil earlier, who mm-hmm. I would think that, you know, many of our listeners are familiar with from a, a storied playing career and obviously has done mm-hmm. some great things in, in very early days of coaching mm-hmm. at Brown. Um, you know, at speaking with players recently, current players that have said to me, um, you know, still in the NWSL, there, there are not mm-hmm. a lot of black players, maybe even say it as it's predominantly a, a white league. And, and, you know, they said, uh, this is kind of, I mean, I've played on youth teams growing up where I was the only black player. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it sounds like, you know, maybe you said that your first black coach was in college. Yeah. Um, it, you touched on it a little bit, but still there's a need for that in terms of people being able to see that something is possible for them. I mean, maybe I should say kids even being able to see mm-hmm. that there's something possible for them five, 10, whatever, however many years down the line. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Kia cause she did, we did a webinar with, um, it was Kia McNeil, uh, Kadani McAlpin, uh, USC coach, um, Trevor Banks, who's out the Brown assistant coach. And then Andrew Bonata, who's at Washington, who was at Washington Adventist. And I mean, it was one of the most watched sessions for United Soccer Coaches, but we just had real honest conversations about the importance of representation. Mm-hmm. And Kia spoke about it. She, has, she doesn't recruit players of color. Players of color come to her because of the comfort level. And, and you know, parents are like, oh, she's going to take care of my kids. So Kia's always saying this. She's like, the importance of representation, she knows it now better than ever. And another story that Kia said, and I think we could all really – uh, like just relate to it was that many of us were the only you know black person on our, our soccer teams growing up and things like that but we never thought anything of it and I'll tell you this story and it's important because it's the reason why I'm in the role that I'm in and why I've created programs that I have when I was in college um, there was a Flower City soccer program and I know you're, you're familiar with the Rochester area so I'm not sure if you remember Flower City soccer but developed some really top kids out of the inner city um, and they asked me to come in because, of course, I was a black woman who played for the Ravens when I was in high school. Um, and then I had a full scholarship to the University of Albany. So they wanted kids to see me. Um, so I did a session. I didn't know how to coach then. But, you know, for me, I'm a big fan of Brazilian soccer. So I like to, I like to dribble. I'll just say that. I like, to, I like to break some ankles. So, you know, so my session was teaching the kids, like, the importance of repetition. So I was like, how can I, like, get this into these kids that, like, 
the way I'm going to teach them may be boring because it's repetition. It's just doing something hundreds of times. So what I did is I had these kids, I gave them two minutes to try to take the ball, to take the ball off my kid, my foot. It was like 30 kids. So they couldn't after like a minute and 30 seconds. And then, you know, I sat down and I spoke to them about, you know, the importance of, you know, working on your craft and enjoying spending time with the ball and things like that. Um, and this one little girl uh, looked at me and she asked me where I was from. And I'll, I'll never, I, it's vivid in my, my mind to this day. Um, and it bothered me because I understood what she meant by that. And for me and for most people who are, have a goal of playing in this game, like you don't think about it because you're too busy grinding to meet your goals. But for kids who don't have access and who don't have the resources, they don't, there's things out there that they don't believe are for them. And that bothered me so much that someone who had the same skin tone as me, you know, and I grew up in the suburbs, so my parents gave me all the opportunities that I could ever ask for, but there were kids who weren't going to have that same experience. So in the back of my head, I already said, when I'm done with school, I'm going to start a program that makes sure that kids can do whatever they want of all races, but especially young black children, of, of, you know, that they would have those opportunities. Um, so that's why I created the Rochester City Soccer League. You know, that's why I have an NMH consulting where we do national inner city programs, but they're not just your regular inner city programs. They're inner city programs that address some of the inequities in inner city locations, because a lot of the times what you find is, and, and I have valedictorians every year with my girls program. This year we did it. And a lot of the girls felt like they failed me. And I'm like, guys, you're all in the top 10 of your class, right? So sometimes when you put a standard on kids and you say, Hey, we're going to give you everything you need. You know, we're working with the Rochester City School District. We're working with all the colleges. University of Rochester is actually going to be taking over a lot of uh, the administrative portion of my, my league this year. Um, but we asked the kids what they wanted, and we literally just go out and get it for them. You know, we work with city council to the point where when I was the one who was going out and pitching things, it was me. My kids do it now. You know, so there's that importance in making sure that we're creating things for that generation. Representation is so important, but also really focusing on how we can create opportunities for kids who don't have that experience um, and doing it in a way that doesn't impact you, but impacts the player and the community. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the, the Rochester city soccer league and, and having that, that local impact um, in, in a big way. Um, and, and you alluded to um, the champions rise here. We talked about a little bit, which is mm -hmm. in, in conjunction with relevant sports, right? Is, is kind of taking yep. that idea. Yeah, they funded it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And taking that idea nationally, essentially, where are you with that? What cities are you in? What's, what's the future looking like for that? Um, well, it's, it's on hold right now. Oh, well, so right. Of course, yeah, naturally. Yeah. So yeah, so we're on hold with that for a little bit, but we were going to take it to more cities and to more markets. And it's kind of what I do all the time. So even outside of the, what we do with relevant, um, we're just, constantly in inner cities whether it's even creating toolkits and how people can start businesses um we're just finding ways to create access to not I, I i don't like the general inner city programs where it's like hey we're just gonna bring soccer to kids i really want programs that that put kids on an equal playing field that provide opportunities for them to thrive in life mm -hmm. um because we know that this game people fall in love with it so easy and it just serves as that vehicle to take people to a different place. Cause I'll tell you what, when kids have all the same opportunities, they will thrive. You just have to make sure that you're giving it to them. So I'm hesitant to work with any of these general generic programs. And the one thing I will say with United soccer coaches is that we have an urban soccer diploma that's coming out where we'll be taking uh, this program into the inner cities and helping coaches who are in those areas and, you know, basically investing in some of the communities that need help with their inner city programming. So I'm excited about that. It's kind of being written now, 
And it's one of the parts that I, I asked, and I know many of the coaches who are involved in that, is that we're creating something that invests in the people who are doing the work in the community. Because many of the people who are doing in the work in the community, they're doing it from a labor of love. They're not like the pay-to-play model who are making millions of dollars. They're struggling you know, to create opportunities for kids. So we just want to make sure that we're helping those who are doing the right thing and literally leading a generation of kids who need their help um, to thrive. And, and, and what you do is when you, you equal that playing field, you'll find that many of the kids in the inner cities are, they're going to do things that many of us could never imagine. All they needed was just, just equal playing field, just access, yeah. just resources. And I'm telling you, they're going to take this world and take it to places we could never imagine. Yeah. I was just having this conversation last week with somebody about uh, the pay to play model, which is, you know, an ongoing uh, massive topic to, to tackle, obviously, but kind of the uh, trying to figure out, you know, how do you um, how do you quantify, I guess, you know, all of the talented players that we are missing because you're not actually seeing them, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's it's a tough sort of um, we know they're out there, but how do you, you know, I guess it's part of this is is finding them in a way maybe that that mm-hmm. but but it's beyond soccer is kind of what I'm hearing from mm-hmm. you, right? It's not just not just finding the next pro player as much as changing somebody's life. And I'll tell you what else is interesting. And, and I've been telling this story a little bit more often because there's a lot of professional players that, you know, we're having this conversation with. And um, Kimberly Crabb, who's on our, our leadership committee, was the first African-American woman to play on the U.S. national team, right? She won an NCAA championship playing against Anton Dorrance um, as a striker, right? So when she made the U.S. national team, Jeff, I'm going to ask you a question. What position do you think she was converted into? Well, I should. Anson loves to have strikers who are defenders. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that did happen. But I'm gonna also just kind of rumble through a couple of players because you're gonna realize that there's a pattern that's consistent. Mm-hmm. Stacy Wilson, mm-hmm. Thory Staples, Brian, um, Tina Ellertson, yeah, uh, Casey Short, and we'll end with Crystal Dunn. All players who played different positions, but then who made it to the top level? They were converted into, and of course it's because they're super athletic and all that good stuff, but it's almost like it's, it's, there's this mentality that these players can't be creative. These players can't be goal scorers, but they're all phenomenal defenders, let's be honest. Yeah. But they're also phenomenal in other places on the field. So I think we have a little bit of a problem there that no one really wants to address, but for many of us who are watching, we're like, ah, another one, ah, another one. And it, it just kind of continues to happen. Um, and I think we have to ask those questions. Why we don't see more number eights and number tens who are people of color. Um, that's something that we look at all the time. And you see it in football, right? Your quarterbacks. And now it's changing a bit. And your tight ends, the thinking positions. Mm-hmm. Because there is – that translates, right? There's this implicit bias that people of color aren't thinkers. And that mm-hmm. goes right into the world of business, into front office positions. So those are things in people's thought processes that need to change. So we're looking to make sure that we're doing our best in our inner cities to showcase our players who are playing all positions, um, who are phenomenal in that 10th role, who are creative, who can think the game, who can see the game, who have vision. Um, and we're looking to take ownership over our kids to make sure that they're being able to be the creative selves that they are when we typically have them in our inner city programs. Because what happens is those players that you're talking about, they are out there. And a lot of times their pathway to the next level is to go play for the DA or for the MLS Academy now. Um, and then things change, their positions change, they're not that same player as before. So those are things we're looking to change too, so that we can kind of have, see more of our kids who are being the kids who we've developed them to be, which are creative, skillful, just different level type players. But sometimes when we put them in other environments, 
they're converted into something different. And yeah. that's also a bit of a concern that we have too. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, Crystal Dunn was a recent guest on this pod and we talked extensively about her, her versatility and, and her ability to um, really phenomenally go between a, a fullback position and a, mm-hmm. on the national team and a 10 role or a version of a 10 role for the North Carolina courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, recently I'm sure you saw, saw she put out, um, you know, some thoughts on how even she's classified in, in media and spaces. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I guess, you know, as much as we sort of implicitly talked about these things and, and her being, you know, needing the, the, the wherewithal, the, the mindset, uh, the soccer knowledge to do that. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, even I could be more explicit about that because, um, you know, it's, it's, I've said it, but maybe not enough. Like it's incredible to do those things at that level because they're totally different positions. Um, so, um, well, I think, you know, that, um, and, and the, what we've been talking about with coach, I mean, there's a huge topic here, several huge topics that we could talk about for, for quite a while. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if we can, you know, kind of wrap up with um, what, what somebody listening to this, uh, this pod and wondering, you know, what can I do? Um, mm-hmm. Whatever their position may be, uh, whatever their role, their, their organization. Uh, d- what do you think in terms of how, you know, that, that micro level change can add up? Yeah, I think the first step is just awareness. And I think the best thing about where we are right now that I'm really hopeful and optimistic about is that people are finally just saying what the truth is that we've kind of been saying for years. And that's a big step, right? It's just acknowledging that there are these disparities and issues that we need to come together as just a human population. It's not even like a black soccer group thing. It's literally a bunch of people who care about the dignity of other human beings and wanting to be on the side of what's right. Um, So just being aware and then thinking about things that you personally can do to make things better for the next generation. I wouldn't even take it to to soccer. Mm -hmm. I just think in just the grand scheme of all things, what can you do to just contribute to something that makes things better for that next generation? How can you see someone who's often overlooked or underserved or underrepresented? What change can you make that's unique to you that can make someone else's life a little bit better? And that's what I would say that everyone can do. Uh, very well said. Uh, you know, hopefully, um, our, our listeners take that to, to heart. Um, but Nicole Hercules, United Soccer Coaches, Black Soccer Advocacy Group Chair. <laughs> thank, thank you for joining me. Jeff, thanks. Take care, my friend. Thank you. You've been listening to Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. If you like what you heard, and we certainly hope you did, please go ahead and rate and review this pod. The more you do that, the easier it is for other people to discover this show and hear compelling stories from some of the most interesting people in women's soccer. Keep an eye out for our next episode when we kick it with our latest guest.